Good morning. My name is Wesley Blackwood. I'm with GC Genesis, and I will be reading the Word of God today. Please stand for the reading of the Word. Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. This is the Word of God. Thank you, Wes. Thank you, band. Um, t- today, as I prepare to preach from Ephesians, I am breathing a little bit of a sigh of relief. Um, in the past several messages, uh, we've had to deal with a lot of heavy subjects, controversial issues, being filled with the Spirit, music in church, things like that. But today we approach a subject where there's no confusion. (laughs) Today we want to talk about a subject where there's absolutely no disagreement. Subject that is never controversial in any type of setting. Never uh, condemning. Uh, It's a a subject that uh, I'm sure you're all wanting that's sitting on the ends of your seats waiting to hear what this guy has to say about our text today. Uh, Today we want to talk about the ho-hum, yawning issue of female submission. So, uh, uh, yeah, there we go. There it is, female submission. Uh, Not controversial at all, right? I can already feel some of you going, like cracking your neck and things like that. Uh, uh, Here's what this does not, this does not mean this. Look at this. Uh, now as I'll read this cause it's kind of small. Now as the superior sex, it's my duty to get my way all the time because as the man, I'm better than my little wife. And since she's inferior, she does everything I tell her to do at all times. So that's, that's what the message is about today. <laughs> Just kidding. That is not, that's not what it's about today. Uh, it is uh, about how the Lord sees all this. Uh, so Women submitting to their husbands, specifically found uh, in our text today, uh, very specifically it says, wives, submit to your own husbands. Let me, uh, let me get back to a place here so that uh, you don't have to keep looking at that. Um, I believe I'm going today where angels fear to tread. Uh, Wives submitting to their husbands. Uh, But this does not mean that this is a message only for women. Okay? This is a message for husbands and wives and households. And what is it that the Word of God has to say? So let's begin this morning by looking back a little bit from the beginning. So you you can turn there if you want to. I just want us to reference a couple of scriptures out of the first, like, page one of your Bible. Genesis 1. Okay, that, that's where I just want to reference something. And this is what uh, Paul has to, or Paul, Paul's right, Joseph. This is what the scripture says uh, in Genesis um, 
uh, chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. God said this, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over all the cattle, over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. It's what the scripture tells us, and how God made men and women from the beginning. And so he made, the, uh, according to the text, he made both men and women in his own in his own image. Spiritually, they are equals. This is the way God created men and women to be physically uh, and emotionally. There was just as much difference then as there is now. There's a lot of differences in us physically and emotionally. But the spiritual aspect is what matters. And we learn in Genesis one that God made men and women as to be to be equal. Uh, they were created in the image of God. They're both equal partners in what God has tasked them to do, which was to have dominion over the earth. That's what he told them to do. But notice this. Equal does not mean identical. Equal does not mean identical. They were equal, but they were different. They had different roles and different responsibilities. But the, ne- the woman was never inferior to the man. We learn in Genesis 2 more details of the human account, uh, how they were created. And then we learn that Adam was created first. And then uh, uh, God said, you need a helper to be with you. And so God caused this deep sleep to fall upon Adam. I actually talk about this whenever I do uh, weddings. He caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he takes a rib out of the man and he forms woman uh, from the from the man's rib. And Adam named her woman because we read in Genesis 2, 23, she was taken out of man. She actually doesn't get her name until Genesis 3, until after the fall, just called woman, a man and woman. Uh, and, And so the fact that Adam named her shows that from God's perspective, And from the very beginning, there was an order of things. Though equal, there's an order. The woman was created to be a helper to Adam. Adam was created to be the head. Now, I know that's not popular in 2022, but we're not talking about what's popular. We're talking about how does the scripture teach us about men and women? What does our text teach us about? What does Paul write in the New Testament about men and women? Something happened in Genesis 3, we all know, that kind of turned all this thing upside down. Adam kind of wasn't paying attention to his role as leader. And and we know that Adam was, uh, that Eve was deceived by the serpent. And so was, and she took some fruit from the serpent and ate it and gave it to her husband, who says, the scripture says, was right there with her. And he ate it and sin came into the world. And then we know what else happened after that. God showed up, uh, as he always seems to do whenever we sin. Uh, the sinners ran and hid. You know, if you remember that from the Genesis account, they ran and hid. Uh, and, and they were hiding from God like he couldn't see them or know where they were. And he comes into the garden and he's, where are you guys? And, and so they talk about that. And, uh, and then God tells them that this is what the consequences of your sin is going to be. It's what, it looks, it's what it's going to look like now because you have sinned. And we talked about that in Genesis 3. It's Genesis 3. Uh, verse 16, second half of the verse, uh, that tells us kind of what this has done to the order of things. Look what it says in 3.16. Your desire will be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. 
Your desire, it's what God tells Adam and Eve, <clears throat> your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. Now, there's several, several different ideas on what this actually means, but I, I believe and I'm convinced that what God was telling the first husband and wife in the Scripture is that because of sin, there will always be a struggle between them on who should be the leader. I think that's what he was saying. Eve, you're going to always want to usurp your husband's authority because of sin that came into the world. Man, you're going to struggle to lead your wife well because of sin that had come into the world. Eve's desire would be to take the place of her husband. But he will attempt to kind of rule and continue to be the guy in charge. And that's been a struggle again from the beginning. Often, as the centuries went on, this became kind of a ruthless kind of domineering situation. Men thought that the greater power they had, it gave them greater authority over women. But then, in the fullness of time, a man named Jesus came into the scene and he began to change all that. And he was teaching that, that power was really given... Uh, 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 to radically change the way that things should be. Jesus was the one who really engaged a lot of women in his ministry. You read that a lot in the New Testament. Scandalous things in the New Testament, just the fact that he was interacting with women. They should be val- Jesus was teaching that women should be valued and respected. And then Jesus dies on the cross. He rises from the dead. And a Christian by the name of Paul began to travel around the world and write letters to these different churches that he went to. And he, we have instructions in his letters on how we should live in light of that whole unfolding of events. So we've gone from Genesis to the fall of man all the way to Jesus coming and saying that women are valuable people. Now you should not take them for granted and how he dies on the cross and raises from the dead. And so that's the, the Bible in a nutshell to get us uh, locked into where we were. But uh, Paul would write in Galatians chapter 3, he says this, that in Christianity, there's no more male or female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, this is what Paul did not mean. Paul did not mean that there are no differences, but with God, there are no favorites. Okay? God doesn't like men more than he likes women. God doesn't like women more than he likes men. There are no favorites Whenever it comes to the way that God sees us, he sees us there. He's saying there is no distinction between male and female. There is no distinction in how I feel about or how I uh, relate to uh, my children. Both men and women are spiritual equals in God's eyes. And, and, and from that point forward, Jesus was trying to say, as, just like he was, anytime he was healing people as he was performing miracles, he's going... Things have gotten out of whack, and I'm showing you that this is the way it should look when things are put back in the right order. That's what Jesus was doing lots of times. But the most extensive things around men and women are actually written in our text today where Paul was writing to the Ephesian church. Uh, and he said that this, this relationship between men and women is likened to the relationship between Christ and and his church. And so he weaves this idea in all through his passage. Uh, and so we want to take our cues from Paul as he writes this to the church uh, at Ephesus. If we want to live in the right uh, 
relationships with our husbands, the right relationships with our wives. It doesn't do us a whole lot of good to talk about cultural trends or the physical differences or the psychological differences between men and women. Honestly, they don't matter to Paul and they shouldn't matter to us either. He didn't get into that whole thing about psychological this and physiological this. He just said straightforward, this is what it looks like for men and women. What matters is what God says in the scriptures about men and women. If we try to relate to one another and, uh, and how we just look around at our culture and how men and women should react with one another, interact with one another, uh, it would be, we'd be hopelessly confused, especially today, right? Hopelessly confused. It's like a blurzy image in a mirror uh, that you can't really see uh, clearly. Uh, and you're not exactly sure what it looks like. Uh, that's the way it is for us today when we're trying to figure this out on our own. So what does Paul do whenever he uh, looks at this? First, he focuses on the woman's role. Now, I'm, I, I'm really grateful for Scripture when it comes to this. Because can you imagine this 50-something-year-old uh, dude from Kossuth, Mississippi, standing up here telling you the, what the role of women should be without having the Scriptures in front of me? That would be a little bit ridiculous, right? I mean, I, I don't know if you know this, but that's, 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 not, that's not the place that I live in. I don't, you women are confusing to me. And so as, and all the men said, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we just, we, we, we do the best we can. Uh, but without the scriptures, we don't know what our roles are called to be. I can have an opinion about that. You can have an opinion about that. And we all have opinions about that. And honestly, it's where it's got us to today. And why roles and, and responsibilities are so confused and blurzy. Because uh, we're, we're like, I don't know exactly what to do with this. I've got my own opinion. You've got your own opinion. What do we do with that? Well, we go back to the scriptures. And we find out what the scriptures tell us about men and women. What the roles of men and women are in the scriptures. If not, I mean, we could end up like we make our own way. And why would Sharia law not be the law of the land? I mean, if I'm going to make up my own mind, I'll just put myself in charge and just tell you to zip it and be quiet. And there's people that live that way. Or maybe we just say, hey, you know what? The, the feminist movement is the right way to do things. And women should always be in charge of everything always. Maybe that's the way we should live. Where do we go for accurate information? I'm thankful that God has chosen to give us information. He's, told, he's chosen to give it into his word. To give us something that this is what it should look like for men and women. So we find this in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22. The first part of that verse says this. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Now... I know that that, again, causes lots of angst to some of you, especially some of you women who are, you know, here at Refuge, what do we raise? Strong, independent, willed women, okay? And we're thankful for that. We're thankful for our strong, independently willed women uh, here at Refuge Church uh, because we believe that you, know, you are loved by God and you are loved by us and God has gifted you in certain ways and we want you to use those gifts here. may not have been somewhere else before, but we want you to use those gifts here at Refuge. But uh, So I know this, this submit word is one of those weird words that nobody likes to talk about. I, I hope you're going to feel some comfort in this today from God's word. Believe it or not, 
Paul's uh, writing to the church at Ephesus would have been quite liberating to people during the day. You're like, okay, how does this bring liberation? Well, we're going to talk about that just a little bit. Many people today, maybe even then, might have called Paul a chauvinist. Probably wouldn't have then, but today might have called Paul a chauvinist from the way he was writing, had written this text. But Jesus gave women dignity. He gave women dignity. Uh, and l- let me paint you a picture of kind of what was going on during this time. I- I'm going to read a little bit of this to m- make sure that I get it right. The Jews had a low view of women. In the, in the Jewish form of their morning prayer, there was a sentence in which a Jewish man every morning gave thanks that God had not made him a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. In Jewish law, a woman was not a person, but a thing. She had no legal rights whatsoever. She was absolutely in her husband's possession to do with as he willed. Okay? If you think the Jews had it bad, the position was even worse in the Greek world. The whole Greek way of life made companionship between the man and his wife next to impossible. The Greeks expected the wife to run the home, to care for his legitimate children, but he found pleasure in his companionship in companionship elsewhere. In Greece, home and family were almost extinct because of the way that men treated women during that time. And fidelity, non-existent. The things got even worse in Roman culture. In Roman culture, uh, the march toward debauchery in Rome was tragic, one writer writes. It's not too much to say that the whole atmosphere of the ancient world was adulterous. The marriage bond was on the way to complete breakdown. And when Paul wrote this, the, uh, the average male's view of a woman was absolutely shocking. What they thought about women during this time was, was unbelievable. One writer said, the two best days in a woman's life are when someone marries her and when he carries her dead body to the grave. But then Jesus and Paul came onto the scene and gave significant worth and value and dignity to women. Jesus engaged with women. He gave value to them and, 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 and brought them in places where nobody would speak to women. Jesus was engaging women during his time. Paul puts women back on the level playing field with men. And here's the scandalous nature of the early church. Christians, um, Christian churches in the early church allowed women to come in and worship together with the men. That was uncalled for. I mean, it was unheard of in, in, uh, in, the early part of the, in the early part of church life. Women were not invited into the synagogue. They were not invited into other religious settings. And Paul also teaches that if a woman had an unbelieving husband, she doesn't have to even join him in his false religion. It's unheard of to even say things like that. We'll get into that in the next, next week's text. To make a long story short, Christianity, the, the treatment of, of, of Christians toward women during that time was scandalous to the rest of the world because nobody had ever treated women with such dignity and value. And so if we were to follow that today, we would say women today should receive great honor and dignity. 
Women should receive great honor and dignity. So when Paul gives instructions to women on this, to uh, the, the way that things work best, he's not trying to force them into some type of subjection because that's the way they lived under in Paul's day. They were under subjection in Paul's day. He's just saying, hey, here's some newfound freedom in Christ. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus and a fellow heir and in a marital relationship. And this is the newfound freedom that you have in that type of relationship. You see what I'm saying, church? Very big difference in the way that Paul was writing this and the way the culture was at its time. Now, look, submission does not mean that you're the doormat. I'll sidebar and uh, and just say this. If you're in a marriage relationship where your husband treats you like a doormat, or treats you like a second-class citizen, or treats you with contempt, and it happens in this church, first off, ladies, you come and tell me. And then we'll have a visit with your husband. Because this is not what it looks like. We're going to look at, this is the wives' week, next week's is husband's week. And we'll have some discussions about what it looks like to love your wife like Christ loved the church. All right, back to my notes. Let me tell you what, what submission is not. Some people think that submission means you're like a slave girl. Okay? You just do what you're told. You do it when I say it. You do exactly the way I say it. You don't ask any questions. Don't give your opinion. Just obey without saying a word. How's that feel, ladies? Not so good? Yeah, I wouldn't think so. Sometimes it feels like not even being able to think for yourself. Husband makes all the decisions, never gets his wife's opinion. The wife's viewed as a doormat. She just sits around and doesn't do anything except what she's told. These are all not, this is not biblical submission in the marriage relationship. Many marriages, the wife is more intelligent than her husband. All the ladies said... <laughs> more intelligent than her husband. But instead of in, in her feigning her submission, sometimes she's just trying to manipulate him to do what she wants to do. Y'all would never do that, would you ladies? Okay, just checking. Other times it just becomes passive aggressive behavior. None of this is submission. All, all that is like, that's no bueno. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about submission. Biblical submission means seeing yourself as the servant of others, even though you may be more powerful and stronger than others. That's biblical submission. It means sometimes you're smarter, sometimes you're stronger, sometimes you're more brave, sometimes you're more talented in many ways. But it's not, you're not called to lord those things over someone, specifically your husband. You're taking those areas of strength and choosing to come alongside your husband and help your husband. That's the role that we're called to do. So wives, how does this work out in marriage? Well, again, you have certain things that your husband doesn't have. He may be physically stronger than you, although some of you are physically stronger than your husband's. Um... You may be in touch with your emotions more than your husband, although some husbands here are strong in their emotions. Uh, 
You may be more sensitive than your husband, although there are some sensitive dudes here. Uh, women are often more creative, although there are some creative dudes here. Um, usually women are better when it comes to raising children, although some dudes do a great job of it. Just saying, in general, those are some ways that typically men are better at, I mean, women are better than men at some of these areas. I should point out this. <laughs> when the Bible talks about women submitting to their wives, submitting to their husbands, uh, it's, it's in this certain voice that, that, they, that the writer writes. It's called the middle voice. And this means that something is voluntarily cho- chosen when it's in the middle voice. That this is a voluntary choosing to do this particular action. So what it, it, could, be, it could be translated as Wives submit yourselves. So, right? Wives, not wives submit to your husbands, but wives submit yourselves to your husbands. In other words, nobody can really force you to submit. That, that's, that's, that's an oxymoron. Can't be forced to submit. Now, I'll just say this. Men, never. Say that with me, men. Never. Say it with a little more gusto. Never. Never. Try to force your wife to submit to you. Like you should never say, submit to me. (laughs) Woman. That's spiritual abuse. When you come across that way, that's spiritual abuse. If you're doing that in your home, stop it. If a woman decides to submit to her husband, it should, be, it should be the fact that she has chosen to freely submit to her husband and doing so from a place of safety within her marriage. It's being obedient to God and it's in a place of safety with a man who loves and cares for her. If a woman is not being loved by her husband, she'll likely not submit to her husband. Dudes. Having a little trouble with that in your in your marriage, in your home right now? It could be because you're not loving your wife well. Self-sacrificing love is what men are called to, to live in a marriage relationship. Again, we're going to get to more of that as we get further into Paul's letter here. Biblical submission means serving your husband voluntarily with your strength so that together you guys are stronger and more unified. Paul limits to this, says there's some limits to who this submission is supposed to be towards. Ephesians 5.21, Paul says that we should submit to one another. And now here he tells wives to submit to their own husbands. So you don't have to submit and you should not submit to other people's husbands. That's not the call. Not the call for your wife to submit to your neighbor, or your wife to submit to your father. Your father. That, that, that's that's not what this talks about. It says wives submit to your own husbands. Uh, I read this too. It says um, in the Greek word Paul uses uh, is it's funny. The Greek word your own husband is called idios. It has no it has no connection to idiot. Uh, it just sounds similar, but it was funny. Uh, it would it's, it would sound like Paul was telling you women to submit to your idiot's husband. So um, uh, that's pretty funny. Um, 
But you might think, along those lines, ladies, you might think that your husband's not the sharpest knife in the drawer. You know what I'm saying? He, he's not the, the, the brightest light on the Christmas tree. You know, the, you, you might believe that about your husband. And so how do you submit to somebody that you go, you know, he's, he's not the sharpest tack. So what do you do? Um, well, Paul tells us that. Look what it says in Ephesians 5. The rest of the verse says this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And so, ladies, here's, here's some ideas to think about. That when you choose to submit to your husband, it may be easier to think, I'm submitting to Jesus, not to my husband. In things that you that are struggling, if you're on a struggle bus trying to figure this out, on the struggle bus trying to do this, you go, Jesus has called me to do this. And I, so I'm living in obedience to my king, in obedience to my savior, in obedience to the one who has rescued me from sin and death. And I'm being obedient to him by being obedient to my to my husband. That, that's not saying you submit to your husband the way you submit to God, if he were God or something like that. That is not what this means. Paul's just saying that, hey, we, we submit in that same type of way. Uh, submission is not treating your husband as if he were Christ. Because ladies, in case you haven't noticed, your husband ain't Jesus. Okay? Look over your husband and tell him that right now. You ain't Jesus. All right. You're welcome. But to submit to him as unto the Lord means this, that your submission to your husband is service to the Lord. Your submission to your husband is service to the Lord. It means submitting to your husband. Look what it says in the next verse, verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. And the reason we do this is because God has set up the husband in the house to be the leader of your household. And if we try to understand what this means, uh, let, let's get a few things out of the way. This has been abused. This, this type of uh, uh, setup has been abused in the past in churches. You may be a... Uh, a, a victim of that. You may have been on the receiving end of this being used wrongly and used as a club against you, but that's not the way that the scripture talks about. Um, some have taken this verse to mean that the, that the, the husband is the absolute, uh, almost like the literal head of the wife. Like she shouldn't be able to do any thinking or for herself or make any decisions for herself at all. But that's not what Paul talks about. It's not what Paul had in mind whenever he said that the husband is the head of the wife. What it does mean, though, is that we're called to care for. We're called to lead. We're called to lead as a servant. We're called to be the servant leader that God has put us in a place to be. We lead by serving. Christ is the spiritual head of the church and he is the spiritual leader and the way he leads us is the way that we're called to lead our families, man. The way we're called to lead our wives. Jesus didn't come to just be a good man or a moral teacher. He didn't come to just perform miracles and heal the lame and heal the sick and the blind. He did all those things, but his primary reason for coming was to provide eternal life for all those who would believe. 
all those who would follow him and all those who would become his disciples. He came to give us life and to give us life abundantly. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. And at the end of verse 23, Paul says that Christ is the Savior of the body. Jesus shows us how we're called to, or how we're supposed to live. He shows us and tells us that, hey, it's better when you live this way. Jesus said those things. The apostles, as they wrote these letters under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, teach us how to live in these ways, to live free from sin, how to love and forgive others, how to care for one another, how to live self-sacrificially toward one another, and how to do it for the good of others. That's what he's talking about. When we talk about husbands and wives again here, you're doing it for the good of one another. What does it mean for us men? I mean, just as Jesus is the spiritual leader of the church, husbands are called to be spiritual leaders for their wives. And this is a spiritual position that we're talking about. We love and we honor and we care for our wives with our time, with our energy and with our commitment, with our devotion. We should be the examples of what it looks like to love and to forgive and to serve, to work for her good. And that's the thing about Jesus being the spiritual head. He's the one that's going to bring us into spiritual maturity. In the context of the Ephesians, it's kind of the same thing. To be the head means to be the spiritual leader. Overseeing the spiritual direction of your home, overseeing the spiritual direction of your marriage, overseeing the health of your marriage, overseeing the the good for your wife so that she can become all the person that God has called her to be. We see this over and over in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 11.3 says this. Paul writes and says, I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. And so this is important when it comes to headship. Would anybody say that Jesus is inferior to God the Father? No, we wouldn't say that, right? We wouldn't say that Jesus is inferior to God. He's equal with God. We talk about Trinitarian theology. They're co-equal, co-eternal. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're co-equals. Yet here, Paul says that God the Father is the head of Christ. So just as Jesus is not inferior to God the Father, the woman is not inferior to a man. See that? That's the point Paul is making. And it in no way implies that a man is superior to a woman. But, But Jesus submits to the Father. Jesus obeys the Father. Not because Jesus wouldn't do fine on his own. Not because he doesn't know what to do with the next situation that comes up. Not because he's not smart enough. Not good enough. But all these ways, God the Father and God the Son are equals. But God is the head. God the Father is the head of Christ. And Christ is the head over the church and over men. And men are the head over their wives. This is not something your preacher is making up. This is straight from the scriptures. What does this mean, preacher? I can see it. I can feel you saying that. What does this mean, preacher? How does this actually play out, preacher? How is this headship applied, preacher? Well, I'll say this. 
Jesus never asks us to become his clone. Okay? He doesn't say, you look, you, you, you'd be the exact thing. Because we can't, right? We can't be. We can't be Jesus' clone. He specifically gives us gifts, though. and He endows us with uh, uh, spiritual gifts and uh, desires and interests so that we can become all that he has created us to be. He, he, has, he has made us individually and given us different gifts and has specific callings for each of our lives somewhere along the way. Each child of God is uniquely talented. Each child of God is uniquely gifted. And Jesus works with us. The Spirit of God works within us to help us discover who God is calling each of us to be so that we can become his unique servants and and be who he's called us to be. And in the same way, husbands, if the husband is going to be truly the head of his wife, it doesn't mean that he gets to rule over her, tell her what to do, or make decisions for her. Instead, it means he gets to figure out who she is. How God has made her unique on this earth. Discover your wife's talents. Discover her gifts that she has. And do everything within your power to develop and encourage and, uh, and, and, and get behind her to be the person that God has called her to be. Your job, dudes... Is to make your wife shine. To be her biggest fan. To be her biggest cheerleader. To stand beside her in the good times and the bad times. Then, that's when that submission thing becomes much easier. When should wives submit? It says in verse 24. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ... So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So how is the how is the church subject to Christ? Or maybe a better question is why do we subject ourselves to Jesus Christ? Why are we in subjection to him? Do we subject ourselves to Jesus because he's some dictator who threatens us or else, you know, do this or else? Is that the way he works? No, he didn't work that way. Some Christians might think that, but that's not the way that Jesus works at all. We love him because he first loved us. He says, come, follow me. This is how it works in the same marriage relationship. A woman won't follow a man she don't trust. She just won't. A woman won't follow a man that doesn't love her. A woman won't follow a man that doesn't care for her. And so we're called, dudes, to love our wives as Christ loved the church. We'll get into that next week. Self-sacrificial love for our wife. This is how Jesus invites the church to follow him and how husbands are called to love our wives. Now look, I know this is difficult sometimes for both of us. Sometimes we men don't want to love our wives like this. Happens sometimes. Women sometimes don't want to submit themselves to their husbands. Even if he's trying to do what's good for her. Sometimes our flesh just rages up against us. You know what I'm talking about. But all this is accomplished. This, this only happens. Listen, this can only happen if you are filled with the Spirit of God. 
if the Spirit of God indwells you, is the only way that you take this text and apply it to yourself and go, I want to live in submission to what, ladies specifically from our text today, I want to live uh, submitting to my own husband. You'll only do that because the Spirit of God empowers you to do that. This marriage relationship is like the highest relationship outside of our relationship with Jesus on this earth. More important than you and your relationship with your kids, more important than you and your relationship with your parents, this marriage relationship because it pictures Christ and the church. So there's a lot to talk about here in Ephesians 5, but here's the big question for today. Does your marriage... Reflect a strong gospel foundation and expression. Just take a minute and think about it. Does your marriage relationship reflect a strong gospel foundation and expression? We're standing on solid ground and the way we live, interacting with one another and interacting with people that interact with us, does it reflect a strong gospel foundation and expression? Wives, as the text says, are you submitting to your own husbands as to the Lord? Wives, are you recognizing the role that God has called you and your husband to specifically in your marital relationships? Husbands, are you drawing your wives in close? Loving them well. Encouraging this bond that God has given us. Are you doing that on a regular basis? Are you living that out on a regular basis so that we can live the way that God, that Paul calls us to here in Ephesians chapter 5? See, your marriage is a picture of something. Paul says our marriage relationships are to be a picture of Christ in the church. And so... Does your, if you're a Christian, does your marriage relationship reflect Christ in the church? If people look at you, they go, I can see where there's self-sacrificial love going on, where they are submitting to one another out of love, where they're leading and loving and caring for one another. Does your marriage reflect that? Or does your marriage reflect turmoil and the very opposite of why God has given us marriage in the first place? What needs to change in your life or be adjusted in your life? Do you need professional help to help you move past wherever you are now? Let us help you. We'll help you. And if we can't help you enough, we'll point you to somebody that can. But don't stay where you are in the shadows and in the darkness until your marriage just crumbles and, and, and falls away. Christian marriages assume, and when Paul's writing this, he's assuming, for the most part, we'll see where he gives some, some caveats why it's not, to Christians. And so the question for you is, as, you've, as you have uh, 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 evaluated your own marriage in light of the gospel, in light of Christ and his church, you have to ask yourself, are you even a Christian in word and deed, or are you just by, it's just something I've verbalized. 
Has my life been changed enough that I actually live out this thing? And and I'm willing to lay some things down because that's what we're called to as Christians. I'm willing to submit to my husband, to my own husband. I'm willing to love and care for my wife as Christ loved the church. Or do we just give a lot of lip service to that Christian ease stuff? If you're here and you're not a Christian, talking about marriage becomes a fully secondary issue. You'll never get it this way without having the Spirit of God that lives within you. And so our call for you today is, the starting point is not figuring out how to love your wife better or submit to your husband better. The starting point today for you is to repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus. You need need to become a Christian today. And so that's the case for some of you today. And so we're going to give you some space uh, to do that very thing. We're going to We'll stand in front of the sound booth and uh, we're going to uh, receive communion here shortly. And we're going to give you an opportunity to come and to follow Jesus. You think Jesus can't change you? Jesus has been making dead hearts alive and changing people for a long time. And he can and he will do that very same thing for you today. And so we're going to invite you to come to Jesus. Let's pray together.